Thank you for that. It's a real treat. We are just so blessed and we feel very blessed. And can I say, on behalf of my family, we do feel really blessed. And uh, it's a lovely thing and we feel cherished and it's all good. So thank you. We really mean that and it's lovely. And uh, we continue to love being here, which is the good news, isn't it? I mean, if, if I stood here and was full of regret at the decision to leave the beautiful city of Wolverhampton and to come here, this would be a very different kind of a service, but it really isn't that. So there we go. Before I begin, can I just remind those of you who have signed up for Abundance, and if you haven't, then we'll run it again another time, but if you have signed up to Abundance, then Abundance continues tonight and next week, and those will be the final two sessions. We'll be able to condense what we plan to do in the one that we missed over those two sessions, so rather than prolong it and start getting awkward around Easter and things, um, we'll clear the way. And then a number of you have asked what's next. Uh, Michael Snelling and I have been talking. We still haven't had a meeting to discuss what we're going to call this course. If there wasn't a brilliant book already called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, we'd be tempted to pinch that title. But we're going to set up a, a number of evenings in that late spring, early summer time, so May, June time, Sunday evenings, where we will really grapple with how do we read the Bible? How do we approach it? How do we get the most out of that when we turn to the Scripture? How do we understand it, what the intention is behind Scripture, and some of those things? So I'm really grateful. I say Michael and I, Michael's doing the lion's share of the teaching. I'll probably make the coffee. That's probably how it's going to be. So. Uh, so we're really grateful for that's what's going to follow. And there'll be a chance to sign up in the next few weeks. Uh, hopefully you'll be able to sign up for that in the next few weeks on Eventbrite. So I was wondering uh, what to share with you because it's a year and it's been a year. And so I began to write a letter to you. And then that seemed hugely pretentious, so I junked it. <laughs> and then I thought, well, it's just another Sunday, really. And it's a Sunday in a nation where lots of things are happening. So I thought about maybe I should say something about coronavirus, because we're not hearing enough about coronavirus. <laughs> and then I'm mindful that it's been International Women's Day this last few days as well. And so I wanted to maybe say something about that. And, uh, and then I came back to this idea of a letter, um, because I think letters are really important, uh, but I don't think I should write you a letter. And we're going to get to what the letter's about later on. I don't know whether you're a letter-writing kind of a person. I am atrocious at writing letters. I'm definitely an email and a text kind of guy. You know, poor old Susanna, she hasn't got a shoebox somewhere filled with all the wonderful love letters I sent to her during our season of courtship. Some of you have those, we don't. We just sort of grunted at each other and said hi. And <laughs> I have hidden away in drawers and stuck up in places cards, birthday cards, anniversary cards. Uh, cards that we've sent to each other and just thinking of you cards and I just here's the thing I don't keep them in a box in one place they're just randomly spread out so I, I find them in moments of serendipity and my heart leaps and it's a great thing I'd recommend that it's also a great cover for being slightly disorganized so you just say I'll just I spread them all over so when I find them it's a wonderful moment and it's a great thing some of you I know are great letter writers, and I love to receive a letter, and I do have upstairs in, in my filing cabinet a number of letters that I've received over the years, and uh, some of those mean a lot to me. And uh, in times of discouragement, they're great to turn to letters, and you just remember good things that God has done, and they're reminders of that, and our connection with one another. In the age of instant communication, we seem to have lost something perhaps in that discipline of sitting down and considering what it is we're going to write and then writing it and then sending it and then 
having those couple of days of worry and fear that there were things that we wished we'd said and we can't delete the email and all the rest of it. It's going to get there and somebody's going to read it. There's a, a wonderful moment in that. And I've been thinking a lot about letters recently. Partly I think it was kicked off in some ways because some of you will have seen this wonderful letter that uh, Jurgen Klopp wrote to a, a Manchester United fan. How many of you saw that? And so this young Manchester United fan wrote to Jurgen Klopp and basically said, it's not fair that you keep winning. Um, I think you should agree now to stop winning and let somebody else win because it's really not fair. So could you now make Liverpool start losing games? <laughs> this is what I think reveals to me why Jurgen Klopp is without doubt the second best manager in the Premiership. <laughs> with the second best beard in the Premiership. Uh, firstly, I would like to, dear Dara, sorry, dear Dara, firstly, I would like to thank you for writing to me. I know you didn't send me good luck or anything like that, but it's always good to hear from a young football fan, no matter what, so I appreciate you getting in touch. I mean, he didn't have to do this at all. Isn't this just wonderfully kind already? Unfortunately, on this occasion, I cannot grant your request. Not through choice, anyway. As much as you want Liverpool to lose, it's my job to do everything that I can to help Liverpool to win, as there are millions of people around the world who want that to happen, so I really do not want to let them down. Luckily for you, we have lost games in the past and will lose games in the future because that is football. The problem is that when you're 10 years old, you think that things will always be as they are now. But if there's one thing I can tell you as 52 years old, it is that this is most definitely isn't the case. Having read your letter though, I think I can safely say one thing that will not change is your passion for football or for your club, Manchester United, they're lucky to have you. I hope that we're lucky enough to win more games and maybe even lift some more trophies and you will not be too disappointed because although our clubs are great rivals, we also share a great respect for one another. This to me is what football is all about. Take care and good luck, Jurgen Klopp. Isn't that just the most charming thing? One of the things I love in the middle of that is this, did you catch his wisdom? At 10 years old, you think that this is what life is always going to be. But that isn't so. I thought it was an incredible letter. Could you imagine receiving that? That, that wasn't, uh, he didn't just sit down and rattle that off in two minutes. You know, that was a kind of a considered, what would I want to say? How would I want to reply? Somebody has asked me this week, several times I've been asked, in our life group last week, we began with a conversation, what is your favorite book? And we allowed ourselves to say, we all know that the Bible is the first answer, so what's the second answer? And for me, it was, uh, it's the autobiography of Martin Luther King Jr. I don't know if you've ever read this. Anybody even seen this or read this? Um, you see how battered my copy is. <laughs> and that's because I make a point of reading it every two years at least, every year if I can, but every two years I read this. And it has inspired me like nothing else outside of scripture. And uh, it's a, some of you will say, I didn't know that he wrote an autobiography. Well, what happened was Claiborne Carson, who is the um, curator of the Dr. King archive, collected together letters, sermons, interviews, recordings, all of Dr. King's writings, and using his own words and transcripts of, of recordings, he created an autobiography. So you get Dr. King's story in his own words. It's quite incredible. And in the middle of the book-ish is a letter that was written on April the 16th, 1963. The date is far less important than where the letter was written from. 
here somebody can have a chance to shine and tell me where they think this letter might have been written from. Anybody know Dr. King's story? Jail. Who said jail? Thank you. The letter from Birmingham jail is a famous letter, and rightly so, because in it, Dr. King uh, lays out his understanding of what's happening, and uh, this is how it begins. While confined here in the Birmingham city jail, I came across your recent statement calling my present activities unwise and untimely. Seldom do I pause to answer criticism of my work and ideas. If I sought to answer all the criticisms that crossed my desk, my secretaries would have little time for anything other than such correspondence in the course of the day. And I'd have no time for constructive work. But since I feel that you are a man of genuine goodwill and that your criticisms are sincerely set forth, I want to try and answer your statements in what I hope will be the patient and reasonable terms. And he then goes on to talk about why he came into the civil rights movement and the work that he'd been doing and an explanation of it. Some incredibly challenging things to say to Christian ministers who he believes, and rightly so, have uh, fallen short of what the gospel demands. Uh, he writes this towards the end of his letter. Uh, Never before have I written so long a letter. I'm afraid it's much too long to take your precious time. I can assure you that it would have been much shorter if I had been writing from a comfortable desk. But what else can one do when he's alone in a narrow jail cell other than write long letters, think long thoughts, and pray long prayers? If I've said anything in this letter that overstates the truth and indicates an unreasonable impatience, I beg you to forgive me. If I said anything that understates the truth and indicates me having a patience that allows me to settle for anything less than brotherhood, I beg God to forgive me. It's a powerful letter. I commend it to you. You should read it sometime. In it, he aligns himself with the cause of the gospel and the prophets of the Old Testament. Letters can be powerful. Sometimes we have no idea how powerful they are, and, and sometimes even powerful people can write letters that seem to bear little fruit. Uh, some of you, if you know this letter, will, well, you'll be able to tell me who it was from and who it was to, but I'll tell you in a moment who it's from, and then you can guess who it was to. Dear friend, friends have been urging me to write to you for the sake of humanity, but I have resisted their request because of the feeling that any letter from me would be an impertinence. Something tells me that I must not calculate and that I must make my appeal for whatever it may be worth. It is quite clear that you are today the one person in the world who can prevent a war which may reduce humanity to the savage state. Must you pay that price for an object, however worthy it may appear to you to be? Will you listen to the appeal of one who deliberately shunned the method of war, not without considerable success? Anyway, I anticipate your forgiveness if I have erred in writing to you. Perhaps you can guess who the writer is. It was Gandhi. Do you want to take a guess at who he was writing to? To Herr Hitler in, Birmingham, in Berlin, Germany. Powerful letter from a powerful person, but a letter that seems to have had little impact. The New Testament is made up largely of letters largely of letters, and predominantly the letters of 
one person, Paul, writing to people and to churches at the beginning of the gospel story. Uh, The gospel has begun to spread, and what began as a kind of movement within Judaism that recognized that Messiah had come has broken those restrictions of Judaism and has become this growing worldwide faith where people from all of the known world have become followers of Jesus. And those early churches, those baby churches, those new churches, and those young believers, they needed some help, they needed some advice, sometimes they needed telling off. And so Paul, who was one of those early church leaders who had a vision of Jesus, who heard Jesus speak to him, who was called by God himself into what we describe as an apostolic ministry. He was an apostle. He was sent by the church to plant and establish churches and to shape and to direct churches in whole regions. That's what apostles do. Paul seeks to shape and encourage and build up the church. And one of the ways that he does that and it's important for us to understand, is through the use of letters. Now, if I send a letter to you, if, it's, if we're nearby, and if I think it's really, really important, then I might write on the top of the envelope by hand, and I might walk to your house and put it through your door. And you will know that it wasn't the, the post office that delivered that letter, it was by hand, it was me, or it was by somebody else that I asked to do that. Now, Paul didn't take his own letters. He would send a messenger or an envoy, an envoy is a better word, which was very common in the time of Paul. There was a time when there was no royal mail. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? And so what would happen is, if you were a significant person, if you needed to get a letter somewhere, then you would write your letter And there were ways of getting letters to different places using the military routes that the Romans had created, but that was quite extreme. What would normally happen would be you would send that letter with somebody you knew who was going to that place. And so that's exactly what Paul did. And he writes letters to individuals and to churches in many places. And if you look in the New Testament, most of those funny names in the New Testament are names of places. The letter to the, to the Colossians, what has Colossians in your Bible, is a letter to the church in Colossae, the Colossian church. Galatians is a letter to the church in Galatia, modern-day Turkey, the Galatian church. Do you see it? The Corinthians letters, one and two, that we have, are written to the church in Corinth. And Thessalonians is written to the church in Thessalonica. So you get the idea. So these places receive a letter, and ordinarily, the letter would be sent by Paul with a messenger. And the messenger, or the envoy, had several functions in which they played. It was not like the Royal Mail. It would be like me having something that I wanted to say to the church in Wolverhampton that has been a revelation to me since I've been here. And for some reason, I can't travel, so I'm here. So what I do is I write down this letter, and then I say to my friend Ty, Ty, just, I wonder if you would take this, I know that you journey a lot, when you're in Wolverhampton, could you just take this to the church in Wolverhampton? And Ty, here's what's inside the letter. This is a public letter. 
This isn't a private letter from me to one of the people there. This is a public letter. So if you could read it to them, that would be wonderful. Now, Ty, when you read this letter to them, they might have some questions. This is the kind of thing I'm thinking. This is the reason I'm writing. So if you could just share with them that as I write this, I'm smiling, that I love them, that I care for them, that would be really helpful, Ty, because they could read this as though I'm frowning at them and it gives a whole different meaning to it. And so Ty says, Jonathan, of course I'll do that for you. I'm glad to do that. So Ty, because he's lovely, next time he's in Wolverhampton, he goes and visits the church and says, I've got a letter from Jonathan for you. Let me read it to you, and then I'll leave it with you. So he reads out the letter, and then the folks say, wow, okay, that sounds a bit harsh. And Ty says, well, Jonathan thought you might say it sounded harsh, but he just wants to reassure you he loves you, he cares for you. This is what he was meaning when he wrote these things. That's exactly what Paul did. Paul sent envoys, and Paul sent messengers I should have saved all this for the course we're doing in spring, summer, shouldn't I? Introduction to the New Testament. It would have been great stuff. Paul sent these messengers, and you will know some of them, perhaps. Anybody know any of the messengers in the New Testament? Anybody? So one of the letters I've already mentioned was, was to the church in Corinth. And we know that Paul wrote several letters to the church in Corinth. We have two of them. 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there was one in between because he makes reference to it. He says, I wrote you this other letter and it seems to upset you, but I'm glad that things are going okay now. It tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 that he sent Titus with that letter to be his envoy. So he sent one of his young followers, Titus, to the church in Corinth with the letter, explain what was going on, and then he says that Titus brought a report back that encouraged him as well. So there's sometimes when Paul writes a letter, because actually sending a letter or sending an envoy is a little bit better than going himself. In 2 Corinthians, uh, you can read this in the beginning of chapter 2, Paul says that he made up his mind not to go to, to Corinth at that point. He's gonna, he says, I'm definitely going to come later on, but I didn't go at this point because I thought if I was with you, it would be upsetting and we'd still be dealing with the emotional stuff from when I was there before. I made up my mind, I wouldn't make another painful visit to you, he says. If I grieve you, who's left to make me glad but you whom I've grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came, I wouldn't be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. In other words, I'm writing to you now so that when I come later, it'll be better for us both. So that's the kind of letter he sent, and he sends it with Titus, so Titus can explain it. It's better for Paul not to come but send a letter. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we see this role then of Titus, who takes this letter for Paul, but then goes back to Paul with a reply and with a response from the church. Why am I sharing this? Well, because it's the pattern that's really important to us, and something I want to say about Women's Day in just a moment. Paul keeps on doing it. He does it with Onesimus. He does it with Epaphroditus. He does it with Timothy. He sends his letters to these places with somebody to explain and to tell what it was that was in his mind. And I'm making a really important point now in the light of World Women's Day recently. Who can tell me what the most theologically difficult, the densest of all of Paul's letters is? Romans. Who else would agree with me that it is Romans, which is the most theological thing that Paul wrote? This isn't a trick question. If you want to get to the top of the class, lift your hand right now. That's it, yeah. It's Romans, everybody. That's the one with all the complex theology in it. That's the one that's really hard to understand. That's the one that you really have to dig into and spend time with. That's the one where Paul gets his most theological head on and writes the most complex stuff that he ever wrote. 
I wonder who he sent as an envoy. Does anybody know who he sent with an envoy with his most difficult letter? Anybody? Was it Titus? Timothy? Was it Onesimus? Epaphroditus? Anybody? There's a hand up at the back. Who do you think it might have been, Irene? It wasn't Tychicus. No. Anybody know? It was Phoebe. It was Phoebe. A lady called Phoebe, who was a deacon in the early church, who Paul had said they should receive her as though they were receiving him and give her every aid and comfort because she was sent by him with this letter. Let's just revisit this nonsense about Paul doesn't like women in ministry or women teaching or his most theological text. He sends with a woman so that she can explain it. The first person to understand Romans after Paul was a woman. The first person to teach Paul's letter to Rome after Paul was a woman, and her name was Phoebe. Letters are important, and who carries the letter is really important too. Now you're saying, Jonathan, this doesn't quite make sense. I don't know where you're going with this. Get to the bit in the sermon where you start drawing these random threads together. Who's thinking that right now? Be honest. Yeah. Well, then here we go. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. People have been coming to Corinth and they've been stirring up trouble for Paul. And one of the things that they've been saying is they've been coming and they said, look, here are our letters of recommendation. We come from the church in, wherever they come from, and they have sent us with this message for you. And they bring these letters of recommendation. And so they would show them. And it's been quite a controversial thing because some of these folks have come and they've said, look, here's our letters of recommendation. By the way, when Paul came to you, what letters of recommendation did he have? And some in the church in Corinth said, I'm not not sure he did. I can't remember if he ever did show us a letter. Maybe we should be seeing Paul's letter of recommendation. Maybe we need to check out this Paul character. That's what's been happening. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul then is telling this this church in Corinth, do I really need to bring you a letter? Do you need to send me away with a letter? Don't you realize this? Paul says, you are the letter. What is evident among you, the fact that there is a church in Corinth That's all the recommendation that's needed. Paul says there wasn't a church in Corinth once, and then we planted a church, and now there you are. You're the living letter of recommendation. Paul then 
explains to this church in Corinth that their existence and their life becomes a letter. A letter of commendation about what God has been doing among them. Paul says, I could go anywhere now and just say, look, it's me, Paul. I'm the guy who planted the church in Corinth. Because what God has done among you is testimony and is proof to the reality of the claims of the gospel. What God has done among you is the evidence that he is at work among his people. What God has done among you in taking you who were not a people and you were disparate and following all kinds of different ways of living and bringing you into a place where you're becoming more and more like him, where his spirit is alive among you, that is a letter to the people that reveals the truth of all that God is doing. Isn't that incredible? But he then goes further and he says, it's really not a letter about me. It's not a letter from me to the world, but you are a letter from Christ to the world. I want you to let that sink in for a second because it kind of has an implication that we're rushing towards. In case you haven't seen it, we're nearly there. Paul then says, and we've already thought about how letters are important, who writes them is, is important, what they contain is important, and who carries them is important. The person who carries the letter is to be the one that lives out the letter and explains the letter and says what was on the author's face at the time of writing. Are you there yet? You and I are part of a letter. Now there's a temptation here for somebody like me as the preacher, the pastor, to jump into the place of Paul and say, you are my letter to Woodford. The results of my ministry among you. Let's not go there and let's not do that. Let's hear what the Spirit is saying to us, which is that we, we are a letter from Christ. We are a letter. That what God is doing among us to reveal himself, what God is doing among us, bringing healing and wholeness, what God is doing among us, helping people find that there is a new beginning in Jesus and going through the waters of baptism, helping people to find healing, helping people to find peace, helping people to find reconciliation for broken relationships, helping people of every age to find meaning in that season of life. We, what God is doing among us, becomes a letter. The way that we live out that letter, the way that we share that love with, with the world, the way that we share that love with those who God puts us in contact with, reveals the author of this letter. The way we love, the way we care, the way we live together reveals what God is doing among us as he writes a letter upon us. We had a wonderful time a few weeks ago at the baptism service. How many of you were here for the baptism service? That was quite awesome, wasn't it? Somebody talked with me at the end and they paid us the kindest of compliments. In having a conversation, this person said to me, you know, I thought I was coming to church today, but I realized something. It's not just church, is it? I said, what do you mean? And they said, this is a family. Isn't that awesome? Friends, that's what somebody said about us. You know why? 
because we're a letter. And they were unable to read the letter. They were unable to come among us and see it. And you lived out the letter. You explained it. You showed people what the author meant by being family, by being welcoming, by celebrating with the four who were baptized, by sharing in the encouragement and the excitement. With your smiles and with your warmth and with your love, you were a letter of what it means to be the family of God to a stranger who came among us that day. You and I together are a letter from Christ. And when Paul uses this word here, letter, I want to be really, really clear, the word that he's using here. The word he uses is epistle. It's a public letter. I'm sorry. (laughs) And it'd be quite nice if it was just a private letter, wouldn't it? We're a letter, but we only have to go to one person and we put it through the door and then they'll read it at their own convenience and then tell us what they think. I mean, unfortunately, it's not that. It's the public letter. It's this letter that is to be read out and lived out and explained. We are a public letter, which then at the end of a year here leads me to kind of want to ask the question, what kind of a letter is Jesus writing among us? What kind of a letter is it? Feels like a teaser ad. I don't mean to do it this way, but I want to invite you especially to make sure you're at next week's church meeting where the elders are going to be sharing what we believe the Lord is laying on our hearts of the kind of letter that God wants to write here in the coming years. We've spent time praying and thinking. We've spent time in conversation with the wider leadership team. Over the course of the last, I don't know how many months, four or five months, something like that, we've been thinking, praying, and working out together. What is it we feel is this next phase in our church's life? What's really important for us to realize is that this letter gets written, as Paul says here, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What God is doing among us is not giving us some external set of rules and regulations to force us into behaving a certain way. What God is doing is he is writing something on our hearts. I could tell you to be family. I could have, you know, for the six weeks in the run up to baptism, I could have been saying to you every week, be a family, be a good family, make sure you're a good family or I'll be cross with you. Or just what happens, happens, which is that the work of the Spirit among us, the work of God's Spirit writing on our hearts, which means that when a stranger walks through the door, there is a smile, there is a welcome, there is love. As strangers take a look at the way we react to one another, they see something different. When they see our kids running around making a noise and people looking at our kids and smiling and loving them and saying, isn't it great that we have kids here? My goodness, isn't it great that we have kids here? When you were praying for me, I just loved that Caleb was making noise. It thrills me, I tell you. I'd, love to, I'd rather be in a church where we have kids making noise than in a lovely, peaceful place that's quietly dying but everybody behaves properly. God is writing a letter among us on our hearts that is plain and is being read by other people. That's how he writes it. And that letter gets written as you and I make that choice to invite God to take control of our lives, to write on our lives what he wants to write on our lives, 
for us to take our hand, if you like, off the pen, to stop striving so hard to just find out what is it the Spirit is doing among us, what it is, is it he wants to do in us as individuals and as in a church, and just kind of catch that wind of that moment and go along with what it is he is wanting to write. I am very mindful that a lot of our life is struggling. And hear me out, there is an element in the Christian life which has to be about struggling because we fight against all kinds of temptations that would seek to kind of take us away from the things of God. I'm not minimizing that. But there is a sense in which our life with God is just about surrender and finding out what the Spirit's doing and partnering with that. We don't have to strive with God. There's lots of striving in other areas of our lives. We're striving to make a fortune. We're striving to make a significance. We're striving to have impact. We're striving to hold family and marriages together sometimes. We're striving. But with God, we need to hear Jesus say again, come to me if you're burdened. Come to me if it feels like you're carrying a really heavy load right now. Because I want to give you rest. Because for this bit of your life, what it means to be the family of God Take my yoke upon you, because it's light. That's how the letter gets written. When we yield ourselves to him and take our hands off the pen and say, God, you write among us what you will write among us. Help us just to work in partnership with you. Who's this letter to? It's to everybody we meet. It's a public letter. It's to the folks who come in, but it's to the folks we encounter when we go out. It's to all of those people in our network of friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. God is writing a letter and it's a public letter. And every time you or I reveal the goodness of God, that letter is being read. We'll come next week and we'll talk in the church meeting about some of the contents of the letter that we feel is coming in the future. But for now, I want to invite us to have a moment and it's one year things are neat times to do it aren't they it's one year of us doing life together i wonder if we can just spend a moment committing ourselves together not to be a letter that jonathan writes but for us together to be the letter that christ wants to write to to woodford to london to our nation and to the nations can we do that let's spend a moment in prayer Well, we don't want to just be commending ourselves. But Lord, what we long is for you to write a letter among us that will speak clearly in our day and in our time of the timeless love of God. Of his gentleness, of his forgiveness, of his love of what it means to be in his family, to know him as father, and together to be sisters and brothers. Lord, thank you that you are writing a letter and that you're sending it with us. That not only are you sending it with us, that we are the letter. And in the places where we encounter our friends, our relatives, our associates, our neighbors. Lord, we pray that we will be surrendered to you afresh. 
so that the letter you're writing among us, the letter you're writing on our hearts, not on tablets of stone, will be easy to read, easy to encounter, and will fulfill everything that you have for it to do among us. Lord, we thank you that it's not about us striving to find something, but about us yielding to your Spirit. And already this morning we've sung, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. We've sung that we kneel down and bow down and recognize the Lordship of Jesus. And once again at this, this small milestone in the long life of this church, we come to you again and say, would you write a letter among us now that will give glory to you? Amen. Amen. As the musicians and singers come back, that's you and me. I want to invite you uh, to stay for tea and coffee at least, but then after that we're going to eat together, and uh, so that's good. If you would like someone to pray with you today, there's perhaps something in your own heart and you want to kind of deal with that and say, oh Lord, this stuff in my heart is getting in the way from me being the letter that you want to write, then I want to encourage you to make sure that someone prays with you before you leave. And the best way you can do that is to come over to this side of the room, into this prayer corner, and somebody will come and join you there to pray with you and for you in just a few moments. Uh, it may well be that in your life groups there are people that you would want to talk to, but I want to encourage you today if there's something that God is stirring up or something he's put his finger on, there's something you need to yield to him, then for you to do that today as we're here together now.